0: Chapter 10 of Plague of Pythons by Frederick Pohl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three days later, Koitska's voice, coming from Chandler's lips, summoned him out to the TWA shack again. Wise now in the ways of this world, Chandler commandeered a police car and was hurried out to the south gate, where the guards allowed him a car of his own. The door of the building was unlocked, and Chandler went right up. He was astonished. The fat man was actually sitting up. He was fully dressed, more or less. Incongruously he wore flowered shorts and a bright red short-sleeved shirt with rope sandals. He said, You fly helicopter? No! No difference! Help me! An arm like a mountain went over Chandler's shoulders. The man must have weighed 300 pounds. Slowly, wheezing, he limped toward the back of the room and touched a button a door opened. Chandler had not known before that there was an elevator in the building. That was one of the things the exec did not consider important for his slaves to know. It lowered them with great grace and delicacy to the first floor, where a large old Cadillac, ancient but immaculately kept, the kind that used to be called a gangster's car, waited in a private parking bay. Chandler followed Koitska's directions and drove to an airfield where a small plexiglass-nosed helicopter waited. More by the force of Chandler pushing him from behind than through his own fat thighs, Koitska puffed up the little staircase into the cabin. Originally, the copter had been fitted for four passengers. Now there was the pilot's seat and a seat beside it, and in the back, a wide, soft couch. Koitska collapsed onto it. His face blanked out. He was, Chandler knew, somewhere else just then. In a moment, his eyes opened again. He looked at Chandler with no interest at all, and turned his face to the wall. After a moment, he wheezed, Sit down! at the controls! He breathed noisily for a while, then, It won't pay you to be interested in Rosalie, he said. Chandler was startled. He craned around in the seat, but saw only Koitska's back. I'm not, or anyway, but he had no place to go in that sentence, and, in any case, Koitska no longer seemed interested. After a moment, Koitska stirred, settled himself more comfortably, and Chandler felt himself taken. He turned to face the split wheel and the unfamiliar pedals and watched himself work the controls. It was an admirable performance. Whoever Chandler was just then, he could not guess, he was a first-class helicopter pilot, they crossed a wide body of ocean and approached another island from one quick glance at a navigation map that his eyes had taken chandler guessed it to be hilo he landed the craft expertly on the margin of a small airstrip where two dc-3s were already parked and being unloaded and felt himself free again two husky young men apparently native hawaiians by their size rolled up a ramp and assisted koitska down it and into a building Chandler was left to his own devices. The building was run down but sound, around it stocky grass clumped, long and cut, and a few mauve and scarlet blossoms, almost hidden, showed where someone had once tended beds of bougainvillea and poinsettias. He could not guess what the building had been doing there, looking like a small office-factory combination out in the remote wilds, until he caught sight of a sign the winds had blown against a wall. Dole. Apparently this had been headquarters for one of the plantations. Now it was stripped almost clean inside, a welter of desks and rusted machines piled heedlessly where there once had been a parking lot. New equipment was being loaded into it from the cargo planes. Chandler recognized some of it as from the list he had given the parts man, she. There also seemed to be a gasoline-driven generator, a large one, but what the other things were he could not guess besides Koitska, there were at least five coronet wearing execs visible around the place chandler was not surprised it would have to be something big to winkle these torpid slugs out of their shells but he knew what it was and that it was big enough to them indeed in fact it was their lives he deduced that koitska's plans for his future comfort required a standby transmitter to service the coronets in case something went wrong and clearly it was this that they were to put together here for ten hours while the afternoon became dark night they worked at a furious pace when the sun set one of the execs gestured and the generator was started rocking on its rubber-tired wheels as its rotor spun and fumes chugged out and they worked on by strings of incandescent lights. It was pick-and-shovel work for Chandler, no engineering, just unloading and roughly grouping the equipment where it was ready to be assembled. The execs did not take part in the work, nor were they idle. They busied themselves in one room of the building with some small device. Chandler could not see what, and when he looked again, it was gone. He did not see them take it away and did not know where it was taken toward midnight he suddenly realized that it was likely some essential part which they would not permit anyone but themselves to handle and that no doubt it was why they had come in person instead of working through proxies just before they left koitska and two or three of the other execs quizzed him briefly he was too tired to think beyond the questions but they seemed to be trying to find out if he was able to do the simpler parts of the construction without supervision and they seemed satisfied with the answers he flew the helicopter home with someone else guiding his arms and legs but he was half asleep as he did it and he never quite remembered how he managed to get back to his room at tripler the next morning he went back to parts and plenty with an additional list covering replacement of some parts that had been damaged she glanced at it quickly and nodded all this stuff i have you can pick it up this afternoon if you like Chandler offered him a cigarette out of a stale pack. About the other night, she began to perspire, but he said, casually enough, Interested in baseball? Baseball? She said, as though there had been nothing incongruous about the question. There'll be a little league game this afternoon, back at the school on Panahu and Wilder. I thought I might stop by. Then we can come back and pick up the rest of your gear. Two o'clock. Hope I'll see you. Chandler walked away thoughtfully, he had no real intention of going there, but something in she's attitude suggested more than a ball game. After a quick and poor lunch he decided to go. The field was a dirty playground, scuffed out of what had probably once been an attractive campus. The players were ten-year-olds, of the mixture of hair colors and complexions typical of the islands. Chandler was puzzled. Surely even the wildest baseball rooter wouldn't go far out of his way for this, and yet there was an audience of at least fifty adults watching the game. And none seemed to be related to the ball-players. The little leaguers played grave, careful ball, and the audience watched them without a word of parental encouragement or joy. She approached him from the shadow of the school-building. "'Glad you can make it, Chandler.' "'No, no questions, just watch.' In the fifth inning, with the score aggregating around 30, there was an interruption. A tall, red-headed man glanced at his watch, licked his lips, took a deep breath and walked out onto the diamond. He glanced at the crowd, while the kids suspended play without surprise. Then the red-headed man nodded to the umpire and stepped off the field. The ball players resumed their game, but now the whole attention of the audience was on the red-headed man. Suspicion crossed Chandler's mind in a moment it was confirmed as the red-headed man raised his hands waist high and clasped his right hand around his left wrist only for a moment but that was enough the ball game was a cover chandler was present at a meeting of what she had called the society of slaves the underground that dared to pit itself against the execs she cleared his throat and said this is the one i vouch for him and that was startling, too, Chandler thought, because all these wrist-circled men and women were looking at him. All right, said the red-headed man nervously. Let's get started, then. First thing, anybody got any weapons? Sure, take a look. We don't want any slip-ups. Turn out your pockets. There was a flurry, and a woman near Chandler held up a key ring with a tiny knife on it. Penknife? Hell, yes, get rid of it. Throw it in the outfield. You can pick it up after the meeting. A hundred eyes watched the pearly object fly. We ought to be all right here, said the red-headed man. The kids have been playing every day this week and nobody looked in. But watch your neighbor. See anything suspicious, don't wait. Don't take a chance. Holler, kill the umpire, or anything you like, but holler. Good and loud. He paused, breathing hard. All right, she, introduce him. The parts man took Chandler firmly by the shoulder. This fellow has something for us, he said. He's working for the exec Koitska, building what can't be anything else but a duplicate of the machine they used to control us. He— Wait a minute! A bearded man came forward and peered furiously into Chandler's face. Look at his head! Don't you see he's branded? Chandler touched his scar as the man with the beard hissed. Damned hoaxer! This is the lowest species of life on the face of the earth! someone who pretended to be possessed in order to do some damned dirty act what was it hoaxer murder burning babies alive she economically let go of chandler's shoulder half turned the bearded man with one hand and swung with the other shut up linton wait till you hear what he's got for us the bearded man sprawling and groggy slowly rose as she explained tersely what he had guessed of chandler's work as much as chandler himself knew it seemed maybe this is only a duplicate maybe it won't be used but maybe it will and chandler's the man who can sabotage it how would you like that the exec's switching over to this equipment while the other one is down for maintenance and their headsets don't work there was a terrible silence except for the sounds of the children playing ball two runs had just scored chandler recognized the silence it was hope linton broke it his blue eyes gleaming above the beard no better than that why wait we can use this fellow's machine set it up get us some headsets and we can control the execs themselves the silence was even longer then there was a babble of discussion but chandler did not take part in it he was thinking it was a tremendous thought suppose a man like himself were actually able to do what they wanted of him never mind the practical difficulties learning how it worked getting a headset by passing the traps Koitska would surely have set to prevent just that never mind the penalties for failure suppose he could make it work and find fifty headsets and fit them to the fifty men and women here in this clandestine meeting of the society of slaves would there, after all, be any change worth mentioning in the state of the world? Or was Lord Acton, always and everywhere, right? Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. The power locked in the coronets of the exec was more than flesh and blood could stand. He could almost sense the rot in those near him at the mere thought. But she was throwing cold water on the idea. Sorry, but I know that much. One exec can't control another. The headpiece is against control. Well, he glanced at his watch. We agreed on twenty minutes maximum for this meeting, he reminded the red-headed man, who nodded. You're right, he glanced around the group. I'll make the rest of it fast. News, you all know they got some of us last week. Have you all been by the monument? Three or four of our comrades were still there this morning. But I don't think they know we're organized. They think it's only individual acts of sabotage. In case any of you don't know, the execs can't read our minds. Not even when they're controlling us. Proof is, we're all still alive. Hanrahan knew practically every one of us and he's been lying out there for a week with a broken back, ever since they caught him trying to blow up the guard pits at East Gate. They have plenty of chance to pump him if they could. They can't. Next thing. No more individual attacks on one exec. Not unless it's a matter of life and death. And even then, you're wasting your time unless you've got a gun. They can grab your mind faster than you can cut a throat. Third thing. Don't get the idea that there are good execs and bad execs. Once they put that thing on their heads, they're all the same. Fourth thing. You can't make deals. They aren't that worried. So if anybody's thinking of selling out, I'm not saying anyone is, forget it. He looked around. Anything else? what about germ warfare and the water supply somebody ventured still looking into it no report yet all right that's enough for now meeting's adjourned watch the ball game for a while then drift away one at a time she was the first to go then a couple of women together then a sprinkling of other men chandler was in no particular hurry although it seemed time to leave anyway because the ball game appeared to be over a ten-year-old with freckles was at the plate, but he was leaning on his bat, staring at Chandler with wide, serious eyes. Chandler felt a sudden chill. He turned, began to walk away, and felt himself seized. He walked slowly into the schoolhouse, unable to look around. Behind him he heard a confused sob, tears and a child's voice trying to blubber through. "'Something funny happened!' if the child had been an adult it might have been warning enough but the child had never experienced possession before was not sure enough was clear into the schoolhouse before the remaining members of the society of slaves awoke to their danger he heard a quick cry of they got him then chandler's legs stopped walking and he addressed himself savagely a few yards away a stout chinese lady was mopping the tiles she looked up at him startled but no more startled than chandler was himself you idiot chandler blazed why do you have to get mixed up in this don't you know it's wrong love stay here chandler commanded himself don't you dare leave this building and he was free again but there was a sudden burst of screams from outside bewildered chandler stood for a moment as little able to move as though the girl still had him under control then he leaped through a classroom to a window, staring. Outside in the playground there was wild confusion. Half the spectators were on the ground, trying to rise. As he watched, a teenage boy hurled himself at an elderly lady, the two of them falling. Another man flung himself to the ground. A woman swung her pocketbook into the face of the man next door. One of the fallen ones rose, only to trip himself again. It was a mad spectacle. But Chandler understood it. What he was watching was a single member of the exec trying to keep a group of twenty ordinary unarmed human beings in line. The exec was leaping from mind to mind. Even so, the crowd was beginning to scatter. Without thought, Chandler started to leap out to help them. But the possessor had anticipated that. He was caught at the door. He whirled and ran toward the woman with the mop as he was released the woman flung herself upon him knocking him down by the time he was able to get up again it was far too late to help if there ever had been a time when he could have been of any real help he heard shots two policemen had come running into the playground with guns drawn the exec who had looked at him out of the boy's eyes who had penetrated this nest of enemies and extricated chandler from it had taken first things first help had been summoned quick as the coronets worked it was no time at all until the nearest persons with weapons were located commandeered and in action two minutes later there no longer was resistance obviously more execs had come to help attracted by the commotion perhaps or summoned at some stolen moment after the meeting had first been invaded there were only five survivors on the field each was clearly controlled they rose and stood patiently while the two police shot them, shot them, paused to reload, and shot again. The last to die was the bearded man, Linton, and as he fell his eyes brushed Chandler's. Chandler leaned against a wall. It had been a terrible sight. Their nearness of his own death had been almost the least of it. He had no doubt of the identity of the exec who had saved him and destroyed the others. Though he had heard the voice only as it came from his own mouth, he could not miss it. It was Rosalie Pan. He looked out at the red-headed man, sprawled across the foul line behind third base, and remembered what he had said. There weren't any good execs or bad execs. There were only execs. End of chapter 10